I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hi everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with us tonight is special bat king himself todd sheets as our producer and uh, and co-fanboy for tonight and also as always with me is the lovely and talented rachel moore hello and ran willox hello so tonight's episode, and part of the reason why um, our loving fanboy Todd is with us, is the fact that we're going to discuss Batman, um, one of Todd's favorite, favorite things in the world. Is that not right, Todd? Uh, that's pretty right. That's pretty right. I would say so. Um, and this is sort of a lead up to, um, in the next few weeks, uh, San Diego Comic-Con is coming along, and I'm hopeful to get some good, juicy stuff for you all Um while I am there, but I thought it would be prudent to start talking about comics, especially with what could very well be the last Christopher Nolan-helmed Batman ever, which he said it is, but you never know, The Dark Knight Rises. So we wanted to talk about Batman this episode. Of course, there's no way we can talk about all that is in the world of Batman um, in one episode, but we're going to try and get through at least some choice bit (laughs) for you. And that we've never succeeded in talking about every episode ever. <laughs> we didn't um, even get through all the doctors. <laughs> yeah, I know. Only eleven. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, Dark Shadows. I think it took like three episodes for us to get through at least most of it. But um, yeah, there's still stuff to talk about in that too. But with that being said, I think we should get into the week in geek um, for this week, and that for sure. I need to start off with. True Blood. Um, Amanda's not here to dish the True Blood with me, but I'm just going to say that sadly, sadly, we are getting more and more emo Tara as a vampire, and that just sucked. Oh, no. Am I the and, only one that can't stand that shit? I haven't liked her since season one. It's always the same. I didn't same even like her in, in season one. I hated her no, in season one. I hated her I've since the seen, first day. I've never seen the show, and I hate her. <laughs> it's like the same thing. If if they if if the writers had half a clue, I mean, they just keep doing this. Uh, you talk about a character that goes in circles. She might as well just stand in the middle of the floor and scream and flip all everybody off. That's about what she does. 
and cuss. Yeah, I mean that's about it. And now they've made her a vampire, so she's even more pissy and bitchy. Most and annoying vampire s- ever award, right there. Yes, I hope and pray to God the tanning bed kills her. Kill I her! really do, but you know it won't. And the only you know, I, I, the whole thing with the the authority and the sanguinistas and all that too. I'm trying to figure out where they're going with that. Um, is the authority, uh, is Christopher Maloney, is he a sanguinista? Are they f- going to flip this on us? I-, I-, I don't know. I'm kind of, I-, I don't know where they're going with that. Um, I need more, I need more of that and less of Tara um, to find out what's going on. Uh, they need to kind of start doing whatever they're going to do this season. This is part of the problem with True Blood. It's a slow burn. And then they cram Russell Eddington in there and everything. I do like the st- stuff with Steve Newland. I kind of even like what they're doing with Jason. Um, I, the the whole he got he lost his virginity at a young age and to his teacher, and you find out that's why he's so effed up in the head. Um, Todd, did you actually watch the episode? I did. Did you like? Did, do you <laughs> he like how, admitting though? <laughs> do, do you like? Do you like how they're they're building his character, and now you kind of figured out why he's such a sex addict? I gotta tell you, I've always loved the guy that plays Jason. I liked him in the movie Red Hill. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you check it out. It's an amazing. Oh yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. And I think he's a great actor. And I always felt like this was below him. And I think they're finally starting to give him a character arc you can get kind of behind and enjoy. So this is this is less simplistic, and I think they're getting a little deeper. And I like that about it. Yeah, because Jason was always kind of a cardboard figure of the comic relief. You know, we need the sexy guy to walk around with no shirt on guy. And they're actually... I didn't made- need that. I really didn't need that. <laughs> Sorry, you get Jessica, okay? You get Pam and, and Suke. So we get what we can get. Uh, but um, I, I kind of like how they're they're going with this. And I liked that they finally made Jessica not a horn dog she actually became sort of a human again in terms of how she reacted to him because she could she's she keeps calling him her friend and now you get to see that and i think that's going to be good for the two of them i think that'll be nice to see the two of them come together and 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 how their arc is going to go i also liked seeing the birth of pam that was really well done. I love the tie-in of the first time you get to see Bill and Eric meet. That was sexy. I, I really oh, love... Sorry, it was. <laughs> it was. I'm sorry. See, this is where Amanda would be going, Hell yeah, it was! Yeah. <laughs> and she'd say, go, Hello! Like... <laughs> yeah, but you get, you get Bill's sire again, and she was all hot, sultry and chick on the bed you oh, get I never you guys liked her. Get... yeah she's terrible yeah well you know the whole turning her head around thing uh whatever watching actually but yeah i i really enjoyed uh getting to see how pam got eric to turn her and you see that he did it begrudgingly um, and she played him. And I loved the line that she said, let me walk through you. Let me walk through this world with you, Mr. Northman, or watch me die. And it was just, oh, yeah, you sold it. And he called her Pamela, which I thought was pretty, too. But so, and, and also, I uh, got to say, I don't know what the hell they're doing with Terry. 
I still don't know what is going on with his character. You're giving him bad hair every year. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what they're doing. I, they have not really explained that. So, and then you get a dose of Lafayette having a bit of a devil in him and trying to bleach everybody's food. Which there's a restaurant here that used to do that, so that's not a big scare to me. Ooh, um, which one? Which one? Oh, oh, don't say it on. Okay, I can't please. say. Uh, Tell we'll me get, later. We'll get sued. We'll get sued. Yeah, I don't, we probably will. <laughs> Tell me later. You want to get sued? <laughs> we get sued. So, um, yeah, True Blood. It's this episode gave us a little bit of goody, goody, um, but we still need more. We need more of this fleshing out of the storylines instead of. They're doing what they always do, which is filling it with filler and 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 giving too much time to emo Tara, which needs to just stop. God, I hope why, she dies. Why do you think that is? Are they convinced that she's some spectacular new starlet and they have to get NAACP? Hey, it's true. It's true that I read a whole article about it. They were raising hell about the fact that Lafayette is a gay character. They didn't like that, and that. They killed Tara last season, so they brought her back. There was this big article. It was the same article that was talking about what Disney went through with that damned frog princess thing that they made and how the NAACP had to have a person there with the writer. It was a mess. And I'm like, Jesus, man, come on. Oh, jeez. Just make a show. That's horrific. That's just... I just say no, it out, I don't, guys. I don't, I don't like care. that at all. <laughs> wow. I just don't understand. Probably, I mean, probably more this complicated is like, than that, but... Yeah. This is like one of the most equal opportunity shows on television. Everybody gets naked. Everybody's represented here. I'm like, come on. It's Everybody Jell-O, gets drained. Even the Jello show. mold got some time, you know? The Jello even got love. <laughs> well, for, that's not First I'm talking about Talbot, but that's okay. But yeah, I I I really don't understand that. There's so everything's represented in the show. The whole point of the show is about fighting racism and that and, right, and all the yeah. subplots with that. So for them to get pissed off about her being killed off, she died heroically for God's sake. Yeah, but I think yeah, they just don't like gay characters very much. It's a big problem. Well, you know, the people in charge of it are Al Sharpton. I mean, he's not going to like a bunch of gay characters. Uh, wow. I just don't We're know. Getting controversial tonight. We are on it. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Batman later. I mean, good to God, you know. Um, so yeah, I True Blood. Come on, you got to start ramping him up. Don't don't do what you always do, which is take your time, and then all of a sudden you, oh my God, we've got like fifteen storylines that we have to tie up in two episodes. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's what they do. So. Um, that's that. So we'll move on to another vampiric um, entertainment, which was Abe Lincoln Vampire Killer, or Hunter. <laughs> and I actually enjoyed the film a lot. Rachel wrote a great review about it that covered many, many points, but she's now read the book. Now, the thing that this does, because I have read the book, and I really loved the book. I thought it was great how Seth Graham Smith did this it's it's weird how so respectful it is with this added craziness of vampires but he does this wonderful job of weaving storylines from actual historical stuff that uh, to into this fantasy world that he's he's created of the vampires being the cause for sa- of the reason there is slavery and how the vampires got made the southern um 
states wealthy because they fed off of the slaves and that the whole slave trade was based around them being given a food source and it's really horrifying yet it makes sense if you think about it how this could totally be true you know watching the movie i really really want to read the book because the movie was kind of it was ridiculous it was a lot of fun and i liked it but it was completely ridiculous but the the movie hinted at kind of better storylines and subplots that now i have now i have to read the book and i I blame you jessica well and (laughs) i have the book for you to read um (laughs) the the problem that i had with the movie wasn't the craziness because the craziness was great i love that Uh, the, the craziness is hinted at in the book and given there's a lot of of there's action in there for abe to do and and things that happen um the the problem with the film if you've read the book is that you you see you see the moments from the book in there but you can tell that the studio told him because it's written by the same it's Seth wrote this screenplay and he also wrote the book you can tell the studio said here's these set pieces that must happen <laughs> connect them and so that's what you get you get I think there's three grandiose giant fight scenes, three or four. Well, and and there are you they going have... to mention the training montage set to electric electric guitars? Well, I mean, because, come on, uh... it was awesome. It was it was awesome it was though. Awesome. It, it it was it was, it was. fun. It set, it set the tone to say, "Don't take this too seriously." And the set pieces that they were set in between were a lot of fun. So yeah, you know, it, I. I went in there not wanting to like the movie, but I was watching it because it was your birthday, and that you had me all curious, so then I had to go, because now I couldn't not see it, and I really liked it. I and plus, Rufus Soul is a vampire. Yeah, that might have had something to do with it. Yeah. So, it was it was a lot of fun. It's a great vampire flick, just crazy fun movie. Great acting in terms of, of you know, the guy that they had play Lincoln in the makeup even as he got older was great. Um, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, as always, is pretty and, and does her job. And... Um, Rufus she has big Soul, eyes, basically. She has, she does, she does, gives great big brown eyes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, like I said, I have no, I, I enjoyed the film. My problem was the parts that they didn't include in the book from the book. That, uh, you know, it's a movie. It's an hour, and I think it was like an hour and forty-five minutes, maybe t- closer to two hours. Um, but the book is all of Lincoln's life, so you're not going to be able to cram all of that into a two-hour film. So they cut a lot. Um, two or three things that really stood out for me that they cut were the fact that they only had one son. Uh, and that that was uh, sort of shocking. I'm like, oh, well, you know, they had... a huge historical deviation in a movie. Oh, they yeah. felt re- they tried as much as you could in that kind of movie to, to be fairly historical in the timeline. Right. And... and, and that that was a big one for me. I also was disappointed that they did not have that great meeting between Edgar Allan Poe and Lincoln, being that they were alive at the same time. That didn't happen. Um, we uh, th- That, to me, was a great part of the book. I really loved the fact that he suspected that Poe was a vampire just because of the way he looked and it, he wasn't. That was really ingenious. I thought that was fun. Um, so... I really liked the movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was crazy fun. They 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 still bit, they were still respectful 
I thought that was great that they really did try to keep that. They walked out that great line of being crazy with this, you know, it's, it's Abe Lincoln fighting vampires. There's a lot of camp that could be had. And, and you had that, but you had it balanced well with the serious message of the film. And the fact that this was one of the greatest presidents in our history, that was it was about. And I thought they did a great job of doing that balance, and, and I really enjoyed it. So that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> now, um, the other film that we uh, went and saw this weekend <laughs> was Brave. And once again, Rachel wrote a, <laughs> a great... Rachel took up the writing duties as this was my birthday weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel wrote a great essay slash review slash rant on fangirlmag.com about this and her problems with this the princess conundrum, really. Um, and Rachel, I'll let you do a little bit of... Uh, talk a little bit about this. Okay. Well, I, I was just saying that I... I kind of have a problem, as most people who know me know, about the whole princess thing and what that means to young girls. But um, it was kind of disappointing to me in Brave that even though they worked really hard, this is the first Pixar um, film to have a female protagonist. And um, they worked really hard to not make her the flouncy, trouncy princess. They still managed to make her... um, independence based on her reluctance to grow up in this case to get married and um well it's a great motivation that everyone i think can relate to and that's why they use it is because it's very relatable everyone goes oh no especially young girls like i'm going to have to marry somebody that i didn't pick but um it's all that her independence seems to be based on. And so that was, my, I really enjoyed the movie. And that's kind of my caveat. It was gorgeous. Um, the plot was really clunky for a Pixar plot, but it was funny. It had me laughing pretty hard at a few few places. And we were in a theater full of children. It was <laughs> Jessica, her husband, me and my husband, and children. And the children were having a great time as much as we were. So, you know, overall, it's a great movie, but it really relied on this trope that I was hoping they would overcome because I feel like it's really overplayed in Disney. Right. I thought they were not going to go that route as well, and t- like you said, until the, the second or third trailers were released. And I thought she was going to be like a warrior princess that she had, you know didn't need a man, that she could go out and do all this well, stuff on her own. I didn't think she'd be a princess, and I think that was maybe the biggest disappointment is from the initial trailers, she, there was no like princessiness. And so I thought that was kind of cool. I thought they were going a different folklore way. One of the things that I did like was within the story, I expected her to end up with a prince and she doesn't and so that was a nice well that's probably a spoiler walking spoiler alert <laughs> i don't know how spoilery that is i mean i haven't i haven't seen the film and you could probably call that a mile away yeah i mean they really don't you don't really get that vibe from from any of the trailers that she's going to pick any of those guys because they don't really spend any time with well, well and if the if the plot is as contrived as you're saying it is then that's a a, a very natural conclusion to draw well, at one point, I thought they were going a different direction. There's a kind of a subplot, total spoilers, people, um, of this uh, prince that had been under an enchantment 
And I thought she was, because none of the princes were obviously good enough for her. As a matter of fact, the whole kind of movie was a little misogynistic against men. But um, uh, none of the princes were obviously good, and none of them were good enough for her. So I thought she was going to turn this powerful prince free from his enchantment, and that would be the guy and I was really relieved when they didn't go that way because that was probably their that was probably their uh I'm trying to think of another word all I can think of is boon but you know the where you're saying that there was this great failing and it sounds like a really great failing they were probably resting on that single point going you know this is what redeems our our character and proves that she that she is independent is she doesn't pick the prince well you know Lottie freaking da the <laughs> If what you're saying is true, which it sounds like, that, that her independence is based purely around her um, wish not to grow up, rather than any other, you know, well, actual self-realized realize, motivation, that sounds a bit her, silly. They make her this really awesome tomboy, and so she's a very likable character. She's not as whiny as, say, Princess Jasmine or any of the, uh, or a lot of the Disney princesses. She is very likable, and they didn't make her so tomboyish that she was completely unrelatable. Um, I mean, she wears a dress. Uh, she doesn't, they do the kind of tired, oh, I don't want to wear a corset thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's it a gorgeous movie, so I, I, I kind of feel like, I really liked the movie. I wouldn't not recommend it. I actually recommended it to quite a few people because it's beautiful and it's very funny. But it was for being the first female Pixar protagonist. I expected it, more. It was good, but I was disappointed. I mean, it. I, I expected out of after seeing that first trailer and seeing some of the just beautiful visuals from 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 that. I expected a lot more out of this movie, I guess. And and I liked it. It was fun. It was funny. But it seemed like some of the, the, the funny routines just went on and on. Like the searching for the bear in the castle thing got <laughs> Sorry, old I love that. <laughs> really quick. I mean it was it just kept going and the whole thing with I can't say anymore without major spoilers, but there there are some some of the 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 set pieces in this just keep going, and it just seems like filler. It's like you could have put more character in here. I would have liked to see more of the princes because I, I those guys seemed entertaining, and it would have been good to get a little bit more. I don't I couldn't even remember their names because they are just barely you know mentioned. It seems, and I, I know it's all about her. If it wasn't for the fact we were in a theater full of children who were on the floor. Mm. I mean, (laughs) you're in a children's movie. So I completely agree because Pixar in the past has been able to do character development for the adults and do stuff for the kids. But I, the movie Up, great movie, beautiful movie, won an Oscar, all that stuff. But I can't watch that more than once. It's boring halfway through and it takes a long time to pick up. And one thing that I can say for Brave is it was short on the um, character development but it moved right along, I thought. And the kids seemed to think so, too, which is probably more important to them. Well, and the other thing is, um, I, I wanted, you know, we were talking about the princesses and, and things like that. Um, the characters and how women are represented in these fantasy uh, fairy tales. Uh, and, and the one that I always go back to, and I even have it on, on our website as one of my favorite books, is Beauty by Robin McKinley. And it's a retelling of Beauty and the Beast, but uh, Beauty herself 
is not. She's not a beauty. She's a complete bookworm tomboy, but she's a you know, she's a fleshed out character and she's realistic in this book. And yes, there's fairy tale magic and there's fantasy and hair and everything, but beauty in this book is a rounded, smart girl who uh she's not this beautiful flowing red hair, blonde hair, re- you know, brown haired beauty that you get from these films and I love this story because it's that way and um it's one of my favorite takes on it which is sort of the reason why I like Disney's Beauty and the Beast so much because they kind of make her smart and and yeah. and in a way of balancing this out like this is not she's not all about the brains you know she's all about the brains instead of her look she doesn't realize that she's this gorgeous woman and I really like that I also, yeah, I, I agree with Rachel. We were discussing this before. I hate the fact they always have to be princesses. What the hell? Why? Why do they always have to become princesses? What isn't so important about having a title and being considered because a princess? princesses have more arranged marriages? <laughs> <laughs> this is true, but you know that's my thing. Is I, I really. I have a problem with this whole Disney princess thing. I know a lot of people um, go for that as their kid. If you know, if they have a little girl, they go for that with their um, their design for the nursery and or their their clothing and 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 everything. But I really have a problem with it because it sets these kids up for. Uh, you know, I just have a problem Title with it. Issues. I mean, it really, it really comes down to we, more and more entitlement every generation. And there are gr- plenty of great heroines that are not um, princesses. Coraline, um, Laura Ingalls Wilder, are two that I mentioned in my review. Right. And, you know, I think you. Know, growing up, I read fairy tales where it was usually the peasant's daughter, and it didn't end up that she was a princess it ended up that hey guess what their family doesn't get die in the plague (laughs) she was was cunning and she went and found the cure or you know she was brave and she went and found food and i i agree i even if you debate whatever the fallout might be from constantly bombarding young girls with the imagery of princesses um the fact is that it's old and done and done and done so like why can't we have some new storylines uh with some characters who have something else in their life besides the need to prove themselves i mean is that all we get from from kid from female led children's movies is the girl who needs to prove herself and sci-fi is do- is doing a better job right now than um fantasy which i consider fairy tales to be under the fantasy genre but in sci-fi you have Hermione Granger you have Princess Leia who's a princess but also kicks some serious ass you know but well yeah and there's a hierarchy in there she's a rebel before she's a princess I mean there's a different identity there her identity is not the princess her identity is rebel leader you know I mean and that's what it is if you're going to talk about you know female protagonists and you're going to talk about identity issues separated from the freaking royalty thing from the things are expected of me and I don't want to do them storyline that's just so old Whedon female (laughs) right I mean Whedon Whedon has really set the bar for that in this day and age 
and and I really like the fact that he took a character like Buffy Summers with the name of Buffy Summers, who is a complete, you know, she's supposed to be a complete dumb blonde. And she starts out that way and then finds her true self in what her inner strength. And she's not a princess. She's called the chosen one. But what at the end of the day, it, she releases the uh, the entire Slayer line to all these girls in a way of showing what this character has done for a lot of girls who grew up watching the show and bring, you know bringing them true selves and their true inner strength. Uh, but and it's that, a complete. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's okay. I mean, it's. To me, that's what it's about. If if you want a good female character, it's someone who's relatable, and you don't need to be a, a goddamn princess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just going to say it's a totally different storyline, too. Because whereas the princess storyline, you have um, somebody whose life is planned for them who breaks free of that life to make themselves what they want to be. Buffy is... She did have a moment of that, of having to to accept the mantle placed upon her, but then the rest of it was about responsibility and And, and she duty. changed the rules. And, yeah, you know, because and she didn't do it because she had identity issues. She did it because she needed to, because she was the only one that could. So it was about protecting and honor and duty. And, I mean, I don't know, I'm just pulling words out of the air, but I'm trying to describe how that's a totally different story. Right. I mean, and that's what I want to see is a totally different story. I don't want to see young girl has life planned for her, decides to do something else. That's every single female fantasy, like Disney heroine ever. Young girl has life planned for her, decides to do something else. Like seriously do, do a different plot. And compare, you know, if you take it, because I'm kind of lumping Disney and Pixar together because they belong there. But, um... Compared to the other princesses, I would rank her more on the side of Belle than on the side of, you know, Cinderella or Jasmine. But still, you know, I I just wanted them to take it up a notch because they're Pixar. They yeah. made the most subtle and, and beautiful love story about robots in a post-apocalyptic yes. world, you know? Like, give me a, give me a freaking well, princess to look up to, even if she's and the, a princess. And the other thing you gotta remember, too, or, um, and we, we're gonna have to move on to our Dark Knight story, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I have to, I have to point out that um, the majority of the Disney princesses other than starting with Belle, I believe, were all saved by a prince. Now, that was relying upon the guys, and I'm not trying to be anti-guy here, Todd. I'm not trying to be anti-guy, but this is, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. They don't consider Alice a princess because she never gets married, but, you know, she has her adventure and she grows. But she never gets married to a prince of any kind, because um, we all know she falls in love with the Mad Hatter. But that's other... That's other um, <laughs> but... but you know, Snow White, Cinderella, um, Sleeping Beauty, all of these characters were in one way or another saved by a prince, um, including Jasmine. Like, if you start, but starting with, I think, Belle um, or the Little Mermaid, even though the Little Mermaid also was, she, you know, gave up who she was to be with a guy, um, you have all of these girls that had to rely on someone else to save them. How is that 
empowering to women? Yeah, it's a good question. You it's know, clear why, this is, it's clear this is tired. This is just sad that they did not think of anything else more original than that because that's what they're known for. So they're about known half of, for original thinking. Yeah, about half of the Disney princesses that you see plastered everywhere, if not more than half, um, they were saved by a guy. They did nothing special on their own, really, other than fall asleep or bite an apple or finish. I can't, I can't, I have a really hard time lumping in those really, really early princesses, though, into this <laughs> pool of judgment because, like, Sleeping Beauty, when did they make that film? It was 1950 or something? It doesn't I mean, matter, I, though. She's everywhere. <laughs> no, She's I everywhere. agree. I agree. But I'm saying when, when you're talking about uh, the inception of a, of a character and the creation of an entire world around that character, you must consider the culture at the time. And so I cannot, I cannot judge Sleeping Beauty the same way you can judge Brave. I just can't. I, th- I think that, that the fact that it's indicative of the culture almost makes it worse. But the truth is for well, me, it does. It's, my problem is not that those exist. It's just that there's no alternative to them. Because those, those are how those st- stories were written. And I don't think that it's bad to have a, a storyline where a female is saved by a male. Like, that's not a bad thing, necessarily. It's just bad when it's the only thing. Or it's just like, it's bad when... It's not bad that a female doesn't want to be forced into a marriage that she doesn't want. It's bad when that's the only motivation you can think of for a female character. So, you you know, I I, I think you're right. There needs to be some perspective on that. And that's why I'm more angry at the present than I am at, at judging the past. Because we have... We have a standard, and it's been the standard for over 50 years. When is the standard going to change? Exactly. Exactly. So that's, you know, we could talk this all night, seriously, because we have so much to draw from. So I'm going to cut us off on the, the discussion of the Princess Conundrum because there's so much to it that we'll never argue it out or talk it out. There's just no way because... It's so embedded in our culture, it's never going to change until we let it, make it change. Somebody's so like just going to make a better movie. Yeah. So, I'll say Xena for president. Hey! There we go. There we go. Hey, Lucy Lawless. We should get her on the show. She can't be president. She's Australian. But she's awesome. <laughs> or, or is she New Zealand? New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We should get her on the show. That'd be a good one. Um, so without further ado... I am changing the subject to <laughs> to men in capes and men in um capes. men in capes and specifically one with pointy ears and that man would be the Batman. No. no. No the <laughs> the one that matters. <laughs> and that would be the Dark Knight himself, Batman, aka Bruce Wayne. And Todd, do you want to do you want to introduce us to this land of darkness known as Gotham? Do you want to do a lead in for this? Yeah, well, there's not much lead in to say. I mean, he's the greatest uh, single character I think in fiction for me personally. I think uh, you know they they lump him in with superheroes. I don't know if that's a good tag or not. I guess he is a hero. Superhero, I don't know. He doesn't have superpowers. He's a normal guy. He's he's a normal everyday person uh, without. He's not an alien. He doesn't have any. Uh, he didn't get bit by any kind of radioactive insects. He doesn't have gamma radiation. He wasn't floating around anywhere in space. This guy just happened to use his brains, his know-how, and uh, with martial arts and his muscle, billions of to, dollars. Yeah, and his and his and his 
his uh, fortune that was left to him through the Wayne Foundation I was gonna say, to become the greatest. But but at the same time, I think for at least for me, as a, as a young boy, I looked up to that more because look, I work hard, I can make money, and then I can go buy gadgets like Batman. So I I looked at that as a also as a plus for hey, work hard because he's a hardworking guy. He does his thing, you know. So I'm like. Let's let's all be like Batman. Also, I like his morals and the way they've they've you know stuck pretty true through the years, except for the first year when he was shooting everybody. After that, <laughs> everything's been pretty cool. So once they once they came to their senses and realized that he doesn't need to kill people, uh, I thought all that was pretty cool. And as a matter of fact, because of that, Captain America soon followed suit, and he didn't like guns anymore either, which was cool. And now, of course, he's back to liking guns in this new age of whatever it is going on out there. But uh, it's like, well, Captain America shouldn't like guns either, but that's another story. Batman is the hero for all of us, and uh, I think it's a great way to start. So that's the best I can say. Good job. Well, and and I gotta I gotta ask because you like you said he originally did have guns, and that was a big deal because later on he was opposed to them because that's how his parents died. How close together was say? Batman, Dick Tracy, the Spirit, and the Phantom, because it seems like they all were just about the same time frame of being created. Uh, the Spirit was actually later, but uh, it was the same. It had the same vibe. I mean, the Spirit was close, but it was about ten years later or eight years later or whatever. But yeah, the Phantom, uh, of course, a lot of it came from the Shadow. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I was going to say the shadow too. A lot of people because... really liked that, and it kind of pulled that in, and, and, and it's kind of like they took the shadow and mixed it with uh, Sherlock Holmes. Really, I mean, they made mm-hmm. this incredible detective, and uh, and and in his early days, he kind of was more after the thug kind of people, and then he would solve murder mysteries and things. It wasn't so far fetched, and then they, of course, created the Joker, and that kind of started morphing the villains into a more fantastical arena. Yeah, and and the Joker, t- um, the the Joker came, and then I can't remember. Was it the Riddler came after the Joker or the Penguin? Because it seemed like it was like bam, bam, bam. They started coming, and then, um, they they each got crazier as they went, and and uh, it, you know, and now with with uh, with this dark with the Dark Knight and what um, Nolan has done is he's taken that fantastical elements. And kind of kicked them out the door and made a realistic Batman, which kind of flies in the face of what Burton did, which he kind of brought that entire world to life in a gothic atmosphere. Um, and, and before that, we had the Adam West version, which was complete camp. So I got to ask you, Todd, which version of the live action Batman is your favorite? We always have to look back to Adam West with a nod and a smile and uh, a big heart because if it wasn't for Adam West, I would have never known the rest. Adam West was like the first. It was like a. It was in reruns, of course. I was a little kid, and that's the first time I got introduced to Batman. And, and, and even though you know the rest of the show was camp, Batman and Robin were played deadly straight, and that's kind of why the show was successful, I think, all, after all these years, even today. And uh, Adam West and the way he had the integrity of the character down. And I thought, as a kid, you think that's really serious. You're like, oh, man, you know, you're really into it. You don't stop and think, really? Shark repellent? Really? You just kind of go, <laughs> yeah, you know? And so it, it kind of turned out that that was like the eye-opener for me. But personally, and even though it's only by a slim margin, to, to this day, my favorite Batman is Michael Keaton. And uh, I just, I loved his portrayal of both Bruce Wayne and the Dark Knight. 
and I loved uh, I loved the suit. I loved the, the very first time I ever got to see that Batman coming down behind those crooks who robbed the lady and had the kid at gunpoint. Yep. And he uh, does that thing, beats him up, holds that guy out over the ledge and just says, I'm Batman. And it's just like, dude, you just feel it. And uh, honestly, even though I love Nolan's universe and the last movie really touched my heart a lot, uh, nothing's really grabbed me like that particular scene. I think it's because I'd waited my whole life to see it. Well, and I, I like the fact that, um, and I got to give props to Adam West because people make fun of that whole line he says about it being pure West in the suit. It was, though. He didn't need, the, Adam West looked great in that costume, and you had to pull that off, you know, when when you're in that, that outfit. So props to Adam West for having a physique that can fill that outfit. I'm sorry, it's completely fangirling, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Come on, Todd, you wear the costume. You know how, how it is in that thing. So, um, but yeah, that, Adam West, I really, really loved it. And he had a great voice for that character too. I loved his, he had like that strong, you know, heroic thing going on. But I have to agree with you. I absolutely loved Burton's vision of Batman because he kind of, it looked like a comic book, but not a, a, a cartoony one. It looked like an art, like this gothic you know, landscape come to life, which is what he created. And I thought it was beautiful and it, it matched the the whole vibe of the, the comics so well. And I think he captured that uh, perfectly, and especially the Joker. That you can't top that. I mean, he did a great job with that too. Well, so I really to look at not just the Batman universe, but if it wasn't for that particular film, I don't think we'd have the movies we have today. That kind of started all this. I mean, it, it was a while ago, I know, but it really and Schumacher almost single handedly killed it. But you know, <laughs> uh, Burton kind of started it all. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, and 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 I I don't think we would either, and I I don't think Michael Keaton gets the props he deserves for that, no. because no one thought he would be able to pull it off. And when they won the People's Choice Awards, I remember Jack Nicholson grabbing him up on stage and saying, "Tell him, thank you for not believing in me, because look what I got." You know, um, no one really thought they were all like Michael Keaton. Mr. Mom's going to be Batman? <laughs> what the hell? But, man, he, he sold it. And he looked, he, he did great. I, I loved how he kind of, when he was in Bruce Wayne mode, he looked so lost, especially in that scene in the alleyway when he's visiting where his parents died. He kind of looked like a lost little boy in his eyes. And I think that was, you know, that's really what Bruce Wayne is. He was a he, great Bruce Wayne. I think my only problem, and it's so incredibly superficial, but... Why didn't they straighten his curly freaking hair? I, I like his, his hair. hair. I can't get over it. Like the rest of him, the rest of him is so, you know, Bruce Wayne and Batman, and he embodies it. And then I look at the curly hair, and I just think, no. Uh, I don't right. make it past his eyes and his lips. I, I like <laughs> curly hair. He's my second favorite Batman. No, it's not Bruce Wayne. <laughs> wow! Well, wow, I think have, Rin. That's amazing about him that um, they lost for a long time with other Batman's was he played Bruce Wayne and Batman as separate characters. Yeah, yeah. I think that that got muddled in the Val Kilmer George. Oh, Kinnear. you mean the piece of wood in a suit? 
which we will not yeah. speak, but um, <laughs> he's oh. he is uh, he's definitely my second favorite Batman. And by the way, I just have to say this: George Clooney, you did not not hurt Batman. It was not you. No, I I liked you as Bruce Wayne. It wasn't your fault that you got stuck in one of the crappiest Batman films of all time. It wasn't your fault, and you should not take all the blame, which is what you do. It was Does not he? you. Yes, he says that in interviews. He blames himself, and it is not George Clooney. It's because he's too nice of a man to call Schumacher what he thinks he should call him. Yeah, I know. So not not your fault, George Clooney. It is not you. <laughs> But I, I have to say, even though as much as I love Jack Nicholson's Joker, it's Heath Ledger's that that stole my heart. Of and even and even if he hadn't passed away, it still would have done so. But um that's leading into another another part I wanted to um ask all of you, and I'm gonna start with Todd. Todd, who was your favorite Batman villain? It's a it's a good question. I, I personally um are you talking about overall, like through the whole universe, cartoons, comics, movies? In, in the whole universe, because if if you love them enough as they cross over, you should enjoy them. So I have to say, it, it, it sounds kind of weird because he's such a popular guy, but I really do like the Joker because um, what kid isn't afraid of clowns? But it's kind of a tie for me, uh, and, I, and I have to kind of say it's a toss between... I guess it would be the Joker and uh, Harvey Dent. I always liked the dual personality thing going on there, and I really, I kind of fell in love with that character and the way it was embodied by Aaron Eckhart. Just wow, I just couldn't believe. It. Oh, he blew it away. He was yeah, so good. It was it was nice to see that happen, and yeah, I've always loved that character, and I think they really did him justice. I like him on the TV series. Of course, I love the Catwoman too on the TV series, mainly because Adrian Barbeau, one of my favorite actresses, plays her. But I've always loved the character. <laughs> I just felt like sometimes the the when they force the the romantic side, it seems a little a little forced to me as a as a fan. But I, at the same time, I understand you got to have that tension. So I guess the Joker would be my final answer, and then a little bit of Two Face in there too. <laughs> so you're Two Face to the Joker. That's it. <laughs> so Rachel. Well, it's kind of odd because she started in the animated series, which is incidentally also my favorite Batman, Kevin Conroy, but um, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy together, Ah, especially in the Harley Quinn comics. And so you can add some Catwoman in there. I also had all the Catwoman comics at one point, but I think the great thing about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy is they're such a great duo because one is so manic and one is so you know cynical yeah and together they're gleefully wonderfully violent and destructive (laughs) and you know batman can't ever be really mad at harley quinn even though she's just as murderous and ridiculous um than the Joker or some of the other villains, especially because she's a psychiatrist, so she should know better. <laughs> well, and she almost kills him. The first, you know, and, and uh, she almost, no, she almost did it. Like, even Batman said, told the Joker, yeah, she succeeded where you failed, and it even made sense when she had the piranhas, you know, Batman's upside down. Fish. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the the combination of Har- Harley and Ivy, I think, even outdoes Catwoman for me, and uh, yeah. So, Ren, your choice? I have always really, really been drawn to 
the uh, the tragic, conflicted villains a little bit more than the purely manically evil ones, and so my favorites were always Two Face and the Ventriloquist. And the Ventriloquist I saw for the first time. My actual first I- introduction to Batman was the animated series. I watched it all every single episode. It was awesome. And I always remembered the ventriloquist really, really clearly because he he broke my little preteen heart. Like he was <laughs> this tiny little man with this little dummy and the dummy was so mean. And <laughs> and it was it was the moments when no one else was around and you heard the dummy and him talking together and the dummy was so mean to the little man that just made your made your heart break and also made you realize this guy is out of his mind. Like, I, I just love those two. Two-Face is, Two-Face is uh, an intelligent man, an, an accomplished man, you know, and and Nolan captured it so well because he really could have been a hero on almost Batman levels, you know, the the White Knight of Gotham, and it's the the ultimate tragedy of Gotham that he never got to be that hero, and he became the opposite. Um I love them both. They're my favorites. Well, I like Scarface. That's a good call. Scarface is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was hoping they put that in a movie because I thought, man, that would be a really good almost. I mean, that that could be a real a real world villain. I mean, they could have easily used that instead of Bane. They could have had him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just hope. But I think this Bane is an apology for the Bane from the other movie. Because I, I blocked that from my memory. Sorry, I hadn't even remembered that. It's I'm just sorry. It's just <laughs> you know who's really tragic. Game. Who's the, a character that's really tragic, but that the movie has forever soiled for me? Mr. Freeze. Is Mr. Mr. Freeze. And I was oh. watching the animated series and going, oh, yeah, when I first saw this, it made me cry. And then I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that made me cry, but in a bad way. <laughs> Burton wanted well, uh, Patrick Stewart to play that part in the film when he was still involved. Oh, oh my God. See, that's tragic. That what could have been. That would have been incredible. See, and that, and that was one of the things I was going to bring up was I, I um, the, the, it's kind of like a three-way tie, although the Joker kind of edges out everybody just because I, I love my crazy madmen. I, I just do. And, and that's, if you know me, you know, that's the truth. Um, but, the Mr. Freeze from the cartoons and in the comics, but especially in the in the cartoon series, that like Rachel said, that episode just hit me, and I mm-hmm. loved it so much. And um, but also, I absolutely adored the Mad Hatter in the cartoon because it was Roddy McDowell voicing him and he was so tragic and he loved his Alice and just that whole how you know with the little remote controls and the and the the hat tags and just how they did that episode was so great and he is absolutely one of my favorites um and in the comics too are just great as well I'm sorry go ahead I was just gonna say that when you're talking about Hatter I always think about um in Sandman, of course, because it's me. But in Sandman, where um, the crossover, where Arkham Asylum in um, the midst of John D's escape, and uh, Hatter stays in the asylum, <laughs> and he can't leave. He he just can't leave. And it was so true to that character. And I, he was causing all the mayhem he could. He just wouldn't leave the asylum. Uh, I, I absolutely love those three, and um, mainly because they're all tragic. 
and and the Joker, um, especially um, one of my favorite favorite stories of all time, would have to be the Killing Joke, because Alan Moore just captured that whole. It's beautifully drawn, and just the 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 that epitomizes the relationship of Batman and the Joker, and so many things happen in that, and everyone talks about the Killing Joke, but really that that damn book is so amazing and how it shows how they are the same side of the coin of you know each is the separate sides of the coin of the joke what the joker represents and what batman represents and how they both were born from tragedy and it's so good i absolutely love it (sighs) (laughs) i love it too (laughs) but i have to say one of my favorite representations of Batman is in this and, and if you've not read it there's something wrong with you it is Kingdom Come <laughs> and have have you have either Ren Rachel have you yes have you of read, course you, I do <laughs> have Ren have you read Kingdom Come no, no. I guess that's a no <laughs> no because I know you're going to hurt me if I say no I, say no. <laughs> I guess well, we no. just force you to sit down and read it though because it is it is absolutely beautiful, and it's one of the um, coolest, coolest Batman ever because he looks like he kind of, he looks like Gregory Peck. First he's, of all, he's scarred to hell, and that's he's, one of the best things. He's scarred to hell. He's wearing a back brace because of his battle with Bane, and he's he still knows everything. And um, it's it's great because he's out there kicking ass in this just po- you know this apocalypse of of epic proportions and he still wins he still you know he lives through it and that's why he's amazing um and i know we're we're getting ready to run out of time we've we've we can never talk you know we never make it through one whole show about one thing <laughs> and get through all of it um so Todd, I gotta ask, is you're you're our expert. What do you consider one of the best graphic novelizations in the world of Batman? Uh, there's so many. I mean, uh honestly I, I really liked year one just because it was kind of fun and, and different. But uh I like the weird stuff. I like the cult. I thought that was cool, you know, it was an interesting take and and uh, a lot of people were like on and off again about that. It was kinda hard, but I liked it. I, I mean, the ones I don't like, I guess, is, is what you should narrow it down to, because I pretty much like all of them that are traditional. I don't like the ones, like the new ones. I just read one the other day. Uh, Dick Grayson's Batman. He's got this damn Damien thing that shouldn't even exist. He's Robin. <laughs> it, they've, they've destroyed the Bat universe. I mean, they've taken, they killed off Batman, then they couldn't do that, so they brought him through a time warp. It's a mess. He, he, everybody else gets a reboot with the New 52 except Batman because he gets to keep the nightmare piece of junk world they created for him that was actually an Elseworlds thing where he had a kid with Talia and all this, and it's like, how the heck did he have a kid with her? And then, Well, it was a alternate universe title well yeah but how come everyone else got to go back to the regular universe and batman's still stuck in la la land it doesn't make sense so i don't like any of those i like the traditional batman stories where bruce wayne is batman he never got killed and it's all you know dick grayson or tim drake who i really love as robin those are those are the guys i like i mean hell this new robin they got makes uh makes the dude that got killed (laughs) jason todd uh, makes him look like a a choir boy this guy's this robin actually killed somebody and batman turned around and said oh it's all right Really? <laughs> oh, wow! That would never no. happen in, in the Batman no. universe I know, ever. No. So they can stick all those graphic novels in their buttocks. I'm tired. 
Wow. So with that, um, <laughs> I, I I have to say one of the you, you brought up the Elseworld stuff, and I got to tell you the one thing you're gonna you may hate me, Todd, but I got to tell you one of my favorite favorite Batman things of all time was when he was a pirate called Leatherwing. Well, mm-hmm. it was an Elseworlds title. It's different. It's okay. Yeah, and it was so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I love. I want them to make an animated movie out of it. That'd be cool. I mean, think about like the Laughing Man, and and they have a Robin in there, Robin Redblade, and and Catwoman's a female pirate. It, it's just gorgeously done too. It's really yeah. pretty. Um, and the other one I love, I love to no end. And and you know me, if you know me at all, you know I'm going to say this is Dracula and Red Rain, because he becomes a vampire at the end. He looks amazing. But like at the end of that, a whole thing with Dracula, like if you're not dead and a, or a vampire, you're both. You're a vampire and you die. It's it's just, <laughs> it's just horrible. Like Dracula decimates and between him and batman they decimate the entirety of gotham and (laughs) make everybody either is dead or a vampire or you're both and it's like i think even alfred gets turned at the end it's just crazy and like like the original gotham by gaslight that's kind of neat elseworld stuff too yeah that's pretty the elseworld stuff usually the batman elseworld stuff is prettier and better written than any of the other elseworlds well i i think I think there's so such competition to do them and I think there's something really great about doing a one shot, you know, where you know you don't have to make the story last over X amount of issues. Right. But, and- but there are people who've done that amazingly. Like um my two favorites are No Man's Land and I can't believe no one has talked about Hush at all. Oh yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Keep us on track, Rachel. So Ren, um, Let's get your favorites, and I think we're probably going to have to cut us, even though Todd probably could talk about Batman all night, but oh, I'm we sure only have... I, but what's your I, favorite? Well, I'm bad. I, I'm getting back to my comic book store, and I'm starting to pick up some books again, so it sounds like I have some trade paperbacks to go by, because I have not read a full Batman series. But I will reference two crazy Batman amalgams that I have read that I thought were really cool. Uh, a long, long time ago, I picked up a trade paperback of DC vs. Marvel, which was actually a really kind of bizarre series where the, all the characters from both universes first had to battle and then merged. And Batman got merged with Wolverine, and it was freaking awesome. Ooh. You have to see the pictures. It was flippin' cool. And then I also just picked up a trade paperback of just some random um, Green Lantern stories, and it happened that Green Lantern went and visited Batman and for a moment let him try on the ring. And so there was Green Lantern Batman for a moment, too, which was also Ooh. cool. Um, <laughs> uh, and But I have to say, hands down, and for incredibly stupid reasons, my favorite Batman is Abed from Community. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god we're not ending it with that we're not ending it with that. <laughs> um i have to bring up really fast because i i think we have like a one minute left um please be aware that the dark knight returns animated movie is getting released on dvd in the next couple of months and it will kick your butt i've seen footage from it and peter weller is the voice of batman so RoboCop is Batman. Nice. And that is awesome. 
So um, with that being said, um, also The Dark Knight Returns, I, I think it's um, the follow-up that he wrote is the one you brought up, Green, Green Lantern, where Robin, like, I think he throat, throat punches Green Lantern and almost kills him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Robin takes down the Green Lantern in a room painted completely yellow where they're serving lemonade. And um, what? they yeah, because they know anything yellow makes the Green Lantern. So everything's yellow. They've painted another the goofy yellow. thing that they still keep around. You don't even <laughs> yes, <laughs> get the power of the universe unless it's yellow. So urine, <laughs> urine can defeat the Green Lantern. In you know, in in the Green Lantern in, doesn't in speak. theory, in theory, pee pee can stop the Green Lantern. <laughs> Poor so Green Bass. Fighting Green Lantern, eat your asparagus is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh God! And with that, I think um, we're going to have to talk more about Batman in another episode because this was fun, uh, and we only just barely grazed the surface. So I want to thank Todd for being on tonight. Thank you, Todd. Woo! I hope you had fun. We have to ta- do this again. We have to follow up because I'm trying to work on getting us some DC people for interviews. So stay tuned. I'm working on that, and um, so. Thanks to uh, Todd, Rachel, and Wren. Tune back in. Same bat time, same bat channel. And see if we are able to um, escape the terror that is Abed's Batman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Will we make it? Who knows? Or the terror that is Joel Schumacher. That's even worse. Oh, God. Will we we get away from the nipple suit? Oh, God. We made it. We almost made it the whole damn episode without nipple. <laughs> Will the fangirls defeat the nipple suit? <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> she knows every episode. She wear the boots to go, go, go. She got a rip mini skirt. She made me play Captain Kirk. Chucky girl. <laughs> <laughs>